Kia New Zealand, it is uh, three minutes after six. You are on Rugby World Cup today. Brad Lewis filling in for Daniel McCarty, who will be back on deck on Thursday. Um, can, can confirm Daniel and Logan have returned back from France, uh, back here for, um, well, probably the remainder of the tournament. Um, we'll see how that plays out. But uh, it's been exciting having them over there in France. Um, and they're resting up. And we'll be back on deck uh, on Thursday um, from six o'clock. Um, so you stuck with me for the next two days. Um, but we have a jam-packed show for you tonight. Uh, Ross Carl from Sky Sport. He's the host of the Aotearoa Rugby Pod. Um, he will join us uh, shortly. Um, kind of a deep dive into not only the All Blacks, but where all these pools are sort of, how they're shaping out. We're almost at the halfway point of pool play um, and just sort of get a better understanding of where the likes of the Wallabies are. Um, can anyone upset the apple cart in Pool A in terms of Italy getting on top of the All Blacks of France? Um, we'll talk to Ross um, about that. We'll also have our breakout performance of the weekend. Uh, of course, thanks to uh, Breakout River Meets. Uh, and um, we'll head into the camps of a couple of teams as well. This show, of course, to you brought to you by Kubota, shaping and building Australia and uh, New Zealand. It is uh, three minutes after six. Ross Carl, very shortly here on Rugby World Cup today. You are on Rugby World Cup today, all thanks to Kubota. And now it's time for our feature interview of the day. It's uh, all the way from Sky Sport in Auckland. He's the host of the Aotearoa Rugby Pod alongside Bryn Hall and James Parsons from Sky Sport, Ross Carl. A very good evening, Ross. How are you doing, my friend? Well, thank you for having me on. It's an absolute pleasure to have someone of of your uh, iconness, so to speak, uh, on the show. I know that's not a word. Uh, hey, hey, Ross, uh, just quickly, news coming yeah. out this morning around Ethan DeGroote. Uh, he's going to Naughty Boy Tackling School, so a potential three-week suspension down to two. That's probably best-case scenario, yeah, given wh- what the initial, I think it starts off sort of 10, and then you're looking at good behaviour, five, and I think two weeks is probably best-case scenario almost, almost for the All Blacks. Yeah, look, I think they're they're pretty lucky. Uh, it's hard to tell these days with the judiciary when you're lucky and when you're not. You're lucky <laughs> at the moment, really. Yeah, like, there are different rules for different people, and there's so many different elements that go into it. Personally, I didn't think it was that bad. It, it wasn't a shocker, like we've seen some from some other players. But you know, that leaves the All Blacks in a position where they're really going to have to lean heavily on Orfa Tumafasi and Tamati Williams. Um, covering it loose head, and you know they've already got their Tyrell Lomax issues. So, you know it is it's difficult for them up front. You know they're not a team that just absolutely pushes around opposition whenever they want to. They really need their top guys. And since last season, Tyrell Lomax and Ethan DeGroote have been. Even though Ethan DeGroote had a few issues at scrum time against the French, I think the general consensus is that he was hard done by a couple of times as well. So, yeah, uh, mate, it's. It's a worry, but there are so many different worries in that team when it comes to selection and the direction mm. they're going, and it's just one of the many worries. Yeah, that's a great point, and had this discussion yesterday with Beav and Sam on the run home, just talking about the makeup of the back three, and ideally, in everyone's world apart from Fozzie's, it'd probably be what, Will Jordan, Lester Whanganuku, and Mark Talea, but that that's just not going to happen with this Bowdoin Barrett at fullback thing, and and, and then you have the issue of you can't fit Damien McKenzie, Richie Mwanga and Bowden Barrett in a 23, so one of them is missing out. And you're missing out on all this impact off the bench. So the whole makeup of the 23 is arguably Ian Foster's biggest issue, and he's just refusing, I guess, to, to look outside what he's comfortable with. 
Yeah, look, I know Ian Foster really loves Bowden Barrett's communication skills, his tactical kicking game. He's got all those elements, you know. I, I, I wonder, really, with Bowden, we haven't seen him let loose recently. You know, he made his name as a risk taker, a guy who took on the line, a guy who beat defenders, and he's not doing a lot of that recently, and he was for quite a while. I'm looking after a little injury, wasn't he? So I wonder whether that, that Achilles is maybe an issue for him still. Um, slightly, who knows? But he's being favoured, and Ian Foster at the last World Cup loved the idea of Morton at 10 and, and Barrett at fullback. Here we are four years later having exactly the same conversation, mm. and the All Blacks are in, if not a worse position. Uh, the frustrating part for me looking at it is just how many people are out of position doing you know things they shouldn't be. So you know, with Geordie Barrett out, we had Antonina Brown who's a centre at twelve. We had Mark Delaire who's a right winger on the left wing. We had Will Jordan who's a fullback on the right wing. We had Bowden Barrett who's a number ten at fullback. You know, and and you look through the squad, we had a lot playing at blindside. It just doesn't make a lot of sense. And I know that's not a, a new thing to say, but the hard part about something that doesn't make a lot of sense is when week after week you continue to see the thing that doesn't make sense continuing to not make sense. It's quite a frustrating thing to watch. Do you think that we're now at the point, well, Fozzie's at the point where he's just going to stick with his guns and if injuries don't force a guy like Bowden out of the side, this is the team we've got in terms of what we know is his first-choice team, and that includes a Shannon Rizal coming into six uh, and, and Bowden at fullback uh, to Leia and Jordan on the wing. Do you think this is what, uh, the team that he will go with for the test matches against A, Italy, and then also uh, the quarterfinal against the, the Irish or the box? I suppose when you look at a question like that, you've got to think about the history of Ian Foster's actions. And the history of Ian Foster's actions is that this is what he believes in. He believes in the dual playmaker. And you can see why, because at times it's amazing, especially when they've got front foot ball, but they are struggling to win the contact area against top teams. And that puts pressure on. And when you you, you don't have an attacking fullback to create um, like Will Jordan could and your team is under pressure, you really have to rely on moments of brilliance, and that's why I think Will Jordan could be your guy. But, yeah, I can't see him making any changes at all when you look at this lineup. Uh, the other big question here is what they do with Cameron Regard. Yes. They love Finlay Christie. They love Finlay Christie. They're stuck by him, and I know Cameron Regard hasn't had many test matches. Um, it will be interesting to see whether they're willing to change their mind. Do you play with a guy who's more like Aaron Smith? And continue to play within the game plan like that? Or do you say, well, if he plays just like Aaron Smith, why don't we play him for 80 minutes? Exactly. <laughs> you know? Why bring on an inferior version of Aaron Smith for the last 15 minutes? Um, Finlay Christie is renowned for having excellent defensive work rate and communication, which I'm sure is something that they really take into account. And he's known as a good organiser. And, and they obviously love that. The coaching panel loved this guy. Uh, but you know, if, if you were to say, let's not pick this guy because of the structure of our game plan, you might as well eliminate TJ Pedernada's entire international career. You know, what was what was before they did it with TJ and it worked well. Why have they changed their mind now and not being able to change up with a different kind of halfback in the second half? Why does the halfback have to be more similar? I, yeah. 
It's uh, yeah, I I totally get it. Now, Ross, um, I want to look at at the pools and uh, and just see where we're at. We're not halfway through the competition yet, but we're getting pretty close. All every team plays two games, and when I look at Pool A, it seems very very simple on paper, and that is that France are going to win the group and New Zealand are going to come second. But I'm sure Kieran Crowley and the Italians have got something to say about that. Now, while I think that the All Blacks should win that game comfortably, the final group game or pool game is France versus Italy. And with the French failing to bonus point it against Uruguay, I'm wondering, Ross, if I could just throw this out there, with the weight of a nation on their shoulders, could France bottle it in that final pool game and either be eliminated or go through second rather than first in the group? Can you see any chance of that happening? No way. No way. Uh, they, they obviously didn't play well with a second-string team um, on the weekend against Uruguay, but this French team's a really good team. They're at home. This is their World Cup. It's their time, and they've got some sensational players. I just, I just don't see it. I don't see how it could happen. You know, they might not necessarily absolutely destroy them, but there's just far too much quality in this French team to go down to Italy. Um, yeah. Is there, is there any nerves in Ross Carl about Italy versus the All Blacks in a couple of weeks' time? No, there's no no nerves about losing it. Uh, nerves about the way that they're going to approach the selection. Like from my point of view, when you look at this this game, it's a really good chance to try something like a different back three combination. Why? Well, because if you look at Italy, they're a good team who can push you, but probably not good enough to beat you. So if you really want to test the combination, that's not a bad area to go with because it's unlikely to risk you the game, but at the same time, it's going to allow you the chance to get them properly tested. It's not like you're playing against Namibia and you can just rip them open left, right, and centre. I mean, the last couple of times we've played Italy, they've given us the odd little shock along the way. Mm. So to me, that's a really good opportunity against Italy to do it, but I just don't see any chance that the All Blacks will lose to Italy. They might not be amazing against Italy, but... I can't see them losing that game, no. So far, uh, uh, so bollocks to me for having that fantasy that the French would uh, would bottle it against the Italians in the final pool game <laughs> uh, against everything that the world would suggest given the fact that they've barely lost a test match in the last two years. Uh, I look at group uh, pool, P, pool B, Roscoe, and look, the game of the tournament potentially is happening this weekend. It's Ireland versus South Africa. The two, uh, two of the top three teams in world rugby are likely potentially to decide the uh, quarterfinal opponents for France and New Zealand, although I'm sure Scotland will still have something to say about that. There are very good rugby team that were completely smothered by the box uh, but uh, what you've seen so far it's hard to say South Africa very oppressive against Scotland Ireland have had um, the lightest opposition in terms of Romania and, uh, and a decent Tongan side what's your gut feeling about this I just feel like the Springboks look like world champions elect Ross Ooh, what's your reasoning? I just think that they, they're like what – I know you're not a massive round ball fan, but back in the, the 90s through the 2000s, they're like the German team that would always make the semifinals and, and potentially be a finals team. They just know how to make deep runs in tournaments. And I just, I just have a feeling that, there's, that they've got the game plan and the way that rugby has been played, which we've talked about off air, it suits the Springboks. And they completely stifled arguably this – the most well second most attacking side in world rugby in Scotland. They're certainly a very very good attacking side in that game where they they were virtually limp against the box. I just feel the Springboks team is peaking at the right time. 
they are a very good team and they have all those bits and plates and you know, they've got coaches who are willing to try things and Andre Pollard's return, that will be really interesting to see whether he goes straight into the lineup. Um, but I see this Ireland team and I just see world beaters. So the last six times that the Springboks have played Ireland, Ireland have won four out of those six and the only two that South Africa have won have been at home. Mm-hmm. The Ireland team um, won one of those tests away in South Africa and the rest at home. I, I think on neutral ground, um, the Ireland team's clinical nature, their ability to get what they need up front, even though Tonga showed that you could get them at the breakdown a little bit, I'm sure they'll clean that up. And their, their incredible ability to have players in motion, Johnny Sexton's ability to marshal the troops. I think South Africa push in on defence pretty hard. They come in off the wings pretty hard. Johnny Sexton's kicking game might make them think twice about the way that they defend as well. I think that they've got a forward package match South Africans. I think they've got a better back line. And I think they've got a masterful coach and a captain who's as great a rugby thinker as probably has ever walked the earth. I think that they've got that. Yeah, a sensational game. That is a must-watch. Uh, do you think Scotland can throw uh, a fly in the ointment of of this group at any point? They're obviously going to need to tip up the, the Iris to do so. Yeah, I think there's no chance. I think Scotland, they've got a good team, but they don't have a team like those two teams have. Uh, yeah, no, there's a chance that they could push them close, but I just don't see them beating Ireland. That Ireland team, is, to me, they will win this World Cup, mm. and someone has got to do something amazing to beat them. I've got to get to a break shortly, but Roscoe, before we do, as an All Black fan, not as a journalist or a broadcaster, would you prefer to play the Springboks or Ireland in an Elimination World Cup quarterfinal? As a fan, who would you be more comfortable playing? Uh, based on my previous comment, South Africa. I think we've seen a way to beat South Africa at Ellis Park. We saw a way to beat South Africa at Mount Smart, even though it was a chopping and changing South African team. I think it's pretty clear that despite what happened at Twickenham, that the All Blacks, if they can get front football, if they can dominate the collision like they can if they really want to, um, then they can set their fantastic backs. I think they've got the ability to beat them. But Ireland are too clinical, they're too smart. You can bludgeon the All Blacks to death, you know, um, if you're South Africa, that's great. Outthink the All Blacks, you know, and to be able to show the options on attack and defence and with your kicking game and to have that all-round game that the Irish have, and looking at the record they've got against the All Blacks since 2016, um, I'll take South Africa all day, every day, against instead of Ireland. And that is the arse of this uh, World Cup draw, ladies and gentlemen, that the four best teams in the world are all playing each other. Well, five best teams in the world are all playing each other at the top end of the group. You are listening to Rugby World Cup today, thanks to Kubota. We'll be back shortly with more from Roscoe. Welcome back to Rugby World Cup today with Brad Lewis filling in for Daniel McCarty here until 7pm tonight. We are joined by Ross Carl from Sky Sport. Uh, Roscoe, we talked about Paul's uh, A and B short uh, b- before the break. We now get to almost the World Cup B group, um, which is 
Group C and D, and, and arguably England's been the most impressive sides out of the eight team uh, out of the eight teams we think are going to sort of threaten for quarterfinal spots on that side of the draw. But look, looking at Pool C, uh, Fiji, uh, an awesome performance against the Wallabies, a clinical performance, and a very unlike Fijian performance where they actually dominated Australia up front and then did a little bit in their backs and did enough to win. I love what I see from Fiji, Ross, and there is a pathway to a World Cup semi-final for the Fijians given who's on the opposite side of the draw. Can you see that happening uh, regardless of if they finish first or second in their group? I think it's a real possibility. Like you said, they've shown that they can win in two different ways. You look at the way they beat England at Twickenham, and then you look at the way that they beat Australia. I mean, admittedly, this is a pretty poor Australian team. But they beat them up, they played the percentages, they kicked their goals, they put on scoreboard pressure, and they took the win. Like, that is World Cup winning football, you know? You have to be able to execute in that way in games where you're not on top. And it was amazing. Kuruboli, you know, Lamani's been so important to them and so important to the Ndrua. Um, and then you see them switch him up, and this guy Kuravoli comes in and plays the game he played. You know, they've got some incredible players there. They've got a great back line. They've got superb loose forwards, a big pack that gets the job done. They could absolutely go to a semi final. You know, if you look this weekend at this game between Australia and Wales, um, you know, that's two teams who've got big histories but look like duds in this tournament to me. Mm. Um, I don't think either of them are better than Fiji. Fiji are going to regret maybe not getting more bonus points um, along the way. But, you know, what happens between Australia and Wales is anyone's guess. <laughs> really is anyone's guess. Because those two teams just don't look like much. Yeah, couldn't agree more. And, uh, yeah, Fiji top in that group. And like I said, Roscoe, regardless if they top the group, there's a winnable quarterfinal with them for them, be it the Poms, Samoa, Japan, or Argentina. And in terms of Paul D, uh, England's two from two. Uh, they're moving up slowly at the TAB in terms of <laughs> in terms of overall uh, bet for the World Cup. Uh, George Ford scoring plenty of points. I mean, can they fluke this, Roscoe? Can they fluke it all the way to a World Cup final, the Poms? the way to, probably not the final, but they can definitely fluke it into the playoffs. There's no doubt about that. I, I didn't even know if it's a fluke looking the way that they've, they've built in the last two games. I mean, mm. Obviously, they were wretched against Fiji. They didn't look like much of a team either, but they really, really looked like they were clever in their first game where they went, okay, we don't have much and we've got a man down. How do we win it? We've got a guy who can kick 50-meter drop goals. And you go, let's just play the percentages. And then on the weekend, while Japan aren't very good, you could see them build on it. You know, let's let's stick to those basics, but let's add just a little bit more. And you saw Ford take on the line a couple of times. You saw Shaw kicks in behind the line. You saw attacking kicks wide. Um, they really started adding little extra bits to their game. And if they can continue to get some sort of dominance up front and get themselves into field position to win, there is zero reason why England shouldn't top that pool and well and truly make a quarterfinal, if not make a semifinal. Like, they are, I think, one of the most impressive stories of this World Cup so far. You look at where they were at and how smartly they've approached the first two games. No one, I don't think, would have picked the way that they did it. And you've got to give credit to Steve Borthwick for being pragmatic and going, look, we're not Ireland. We're, we don't have a million options. We don't have fantastic gameplay. We aren't able to stick to a game plan like that with very few errors. We're England and our DNA is win it up front, take it long, get into a position, build pressure on the scoreboard. 
And that's what they're doing. It's really, really smart. Yeah, they are Chile this weekend, then the week off, and then they play Samoa in their final game, looking like they could definitely top that group. Do you think we uh, will still see something from the Pumas, Ross? They were very, very disappointing against England with a man advantage. Um, they've got big games against Samoa and Japan coming up. Uh, they're going to have to win both of those games, you'd think, um, to progress. Uh, or this could be a, a pool where sort of four, three teams end up with two wins each. But what what are you? Uh, what are you? What did you see? Out of, Argentina in that game, and do you think they're the second best team in this group? Yeah, my gut is that they will get through. Um, I'll be interested to see what happens against Samoa, because Samoa absolutely have the talent to beat Argentina, um, but I just wonder whether Argentina will get themselves into a do-or-die situation and get through um, and then Samoa might lose to both Argentina and England. Um, that's my gut. You know, um, Samoa showed against Ireland um, that they have the ability to be in it at the end. And if they can utilise all their talent, will they go with Lili Afano? Will they go with um, Lima Sopoanga um, at 10? I don't know. That's kind of, you know, being um, conservative versus having a crack. So uh, I, I really don't know. This game, I would say 60-40 versus Samoa to Argentina for me. Um Argentina get it right. They've got a good pack. They've got outstanding loose boards, and they've got a backline that can work. Can they keep their discipline right? Is the big question for Argentina, because if they get their discipline right, they can knock over top teams. They've got the pedigree. They've done it against the world's top teams over the last couple of years. But their discipline lets them down all the time. And if they get that right, they will beat Samoa. If they don't, they will lose to Samoa. And finally, Ross, I know World Rugby have said they were, are going to uh, rectify this in the future in terms of the groupings for these pools and world rankings sort of two years out from the tournament. But this tournament has just caught, sort of laid it out with the with the discrepancy between the top half and the bottom half of the draw in terms of, of the top five teams in the world on one side. Uh, do you think World Rugby, in a way, its own worst enemy with the fact that the four best teams in the tournament, only two of them are going to be in the final four? It's really hard. I had a good conversation with Darren Shand about this a few years ago, about why they select um, seeds so far out. And he basically said it's a logistics exercise. You know, when you look at the way that a team has to organise, going to multiple cities, multiple hotels, bus rides, practice grounds, all of those kind of things, to get those things in place to understand who you want as your chef and, you know, how you, you're going to make all of the little bits and pieces work within a hotel, whether it's a massage room or whatever it might be that your team needs. And you do that in multiple cities over the course of eight weeks because you've got to be prepared for the full eight weeks. Uh, there's a lot to organise. Um, so it's actually quite difficult to do it any earlier if you want those things to be organised. Like Darren Shand had a typhoon plan for the 2019 World Cup. Yeah, they knew that the weather could get like that, so they needed to have an exit plan if there was a warning of a typhoon to get out of the city they were in, find a hotel in another city that would allow them to be ready to go play in an alternative venue if a typhoon came through. That's the level of planning that goes into these things. Um, so they've got to find a way to allow for both. Now, I think the way that the French have done it this year where teams have bases and they stay in that base and they fly in and out of the city they're playing in two days out, probably allows for it to come a little bit closer because there is a more consistent approach week on, week on, week. Um, so maybe there's a chance, but, to, you know, I can't see it getting any closer than a year out, you know. 
because of those other logistical exercises. Ross Carl, absolute pleasure talking to you. Uh, enjoy the rest of this tournament, my friend. It's really starting to heat up now. As I said, that game this weekend, uh, Ireland, South Africa, could even be a look forward to a Rugby World Cup final. Um, enjoy the rugby, mate, and have a, have a great rest of your week. Thanks so much. Good chat, mate. No problem. That is Ross Carl from uh, Sky Sports. Uh, he is the uh, co-host of the uh, Altera Rugby Pod alongside Bryn Hall and uh, Skippy Jimmy Parsons, uh, of course, former Auckland uh, and one test All Black, I believe, Hogger. Uh, so uh, two games on Sky uh, on SCNZ this weekend, uh, Sunday morning South Africa, Ireland, Monday morning Wales, Australia. Uh, just looking at the rest of the fixtures, Italy, Uruguay um, as Italy play their second game of the tournament they had the week off last week France and Namibia is on uh, that's so the Italy Uruguay game is Thursday morning uh, France and Namibia is on Friday morning the Pumas and Samoa that's a big game Saturday morning at 3.45am Argentina and Samoa and Paul D Georgia play Portugal on Sunday morning England play Chile on Sunday morning obviously the Box and Ireland of course Sunday morning uh, at 8am that game live here on SCNZ Scotland Tonga on Monday morning at 4.45 and then the Monday morning game on SCNZ live commentary from 8am is the Wallabies and Australia. So there are certainly some interesting games uh, this weekend as the tournament really, really heats up. Uh, news next or with Johnny Mac uh, and then we'll be back and uh, looking at uh, a few things when it comes to the World Cup including a cool little thing that Anton Leonard Brown did uh, yesterday going to visit the injured Namibian uh, player from the game between the All Blacks and Namibia. Uh, you're listening to Rugby World Cup today with Brad Lewis. All thanks to Kubota. Together we are shaping and building Australia and New Zealand. Six thirty-five on SCNZ. You're listening to Rugby World Cup today. Brad Lewis filling in for Daniel McCarty. Rugby World Cup today brought to you by Kubota, shaping and building Australia and New Zealand. Time now for our breakout uh, performance of the day. Uh, it is the Fiji number twelve, uh, Joseph Tuisova. Uh, breakout performance of the day brought to you by Breakout River Meats, one hundred percent Australian meat, locally produced from Cowra, New South Wales. kicked beautifully in that first half and this will test the Aussies as well it finds the deck and it finds the waiting hands of Joshua Tutova well this is what happens when you've got the pace of the game you bring the referee into the game when you choose to Fiji inside at the moment dictating terms most definitely what the Wallabies can't do now is try to solve immediately Spoiler alert, the Wallabies didn't solve anything in that game and Fiji won 22-15. Joseph Tuisova, uh, who a lot of uh, pundits outside of the bubble, that is New Zealand, believe is one of the best midfield backs in the world um, and he's certainly been impressive. Man, that Fijian backline 
It's a very, very good back line. And if they had their uh, their first choice first five eight, they'd be even be even more dangerous. Uh, so that is our uh, breakout performer of the day. Thanks to Breakout River Meats, 100% Australian meats, locally produced from Kaura and only found at your local independent butcher. All right, uh, time now to look inside some of the camps. Uh, New Zealand Centre Anton Leonard Brown has visited Larue Milan in hospital after the Namibia player suffered a serious injury in their pool a match on Saturday morning. Milan suffered a fractured and dislocated ankle injury in the first half of his side 71-3 loss to the ABs at Stadium Stadium de Toulouse. (laughs) Easy for me to say. Uh, Play was halted for several minutes while he received treatment and he left the pitch to a rousing ovation from both the crowd and his fellow players. Three days later, with Milan having undergone surgery, uh, successful surgery I might add, fellow centre Leonard Brown was by his bedside where he gifted Milan a signed All Blacks shirt. hospital to see LaRue, um, the, the 12 for Namibia. Um, obviously he had a pretty horrific injury uh, when we played them, so you know, say hi. Hey brother, hey, what's happening? Hey, how you going? How's it going, Joe? Good, good thanks, how are you? Yeah, good. I'm yeah, I appreciate sure. this so much, bro, seriously. Nah. Uh, injury turned out to be like so much better than initially thought, bro. Yeah. I thought maybe the tibia was off, but it's only four to six months, which is unreal. Oh, that's good. Yeah, cool. yeah. Still, still a big injury, though. Yeah, of course. Yeah. See, my ankle like that was obviously very weird, but um, yeah, yeah. I mean, it turned out to be way better than I thought it was. My left foot um, slid, and I think my right foot was caught like sort of in the ground already. Yeah. So when I made that initial contact with Bowden, I guess I just like all of it just basically snapped. Yeah, yeah, so it's literally a freak injury. For someone like me that's been through shoulder surgery and I definitely feel his pain, you know, when you're, when you're passionate and you're driven about a sport you love and it's just stopped for six months or something like that, it can be tough, but um, it's good to see he's in awesome spirits. There's just that mutual respect between both teams. Awesome act from Anton Leonard Brown and the All Blacks, very, very classy indeed. Excuse me. Uh, into the Springbok camp we go. Springbok playmaker Andre Pollard has been ruled out of South Africa's monster clash with Ireland on the weekend. That is, unless the side suffers a late injury crisis, according to Director of Rugby uh, Rassi Erasmus. Let's be honest, he's the coach of the side, isn't he? Uh, Pollard was called into the 33-man squad yesterday as a replacement for dynamic hooker Malcolm Marks, who injured himself in training last week. Uh, but Erasmus says uh, Pollard still needs time to settle in, having only played 80 minutes of rugby in the last three months. There is some good news, though, for you fans of the Bocker Lock. Eben Estebeth has been declared fit and available for the clash uh, after sitting out the thumping of Romania uh, with a couple of niggles. And the big talking point of the tournament so far has been the grey area around head contact and what that does or does not mean to justify a red or yellow card. The word mitigation has been used at nauseam, hasn't it? Here is... Former Irish international Jamie Heslop and his cohort Jerry Flannery on how head contact has been adjudicated and officiated uh, at this tournament. People are going at high speed into these collisions, so all you can tr- World Rugby are trying to mitigate the amount and the severity of head contacts in a game, which I think is happening. Is happening. And to do that, you have to, you have to put yourself in the tackler's point of view. The tackler must drop his body height. So he has to level change. He has to go from upright to getting down low. And he has to be in a position where when he's coming into the tackle, he's trying to wrap. 
If he's doing those two things, he may still catch somebody in the head, but he's doing everything he can legally to try and make the tackle. Now, if the, t if the ball carrier changes his, his angle of run quickly, just prior to, to, to when the collision happens and doesn't give enough time for the tackler to adjust, or if he's pushed, or if he drops his body height dynamically coming into the tackle, those things can lead to head contact, which is probably accidental, but it can still end up with a yellow card. You were making the point to us off air that you, you can't actually outlaw head contact because it's just not going to happen. You know, in rugby, there's going to be head contact mm. all the time. But should the punishment fit the crime in terms of, is any head knock, should you just say, okay, look, it's dangerous play and it's gone. Is that what's going to have to happen? Or can you continue to have situations like this where they're being punished completely differently? You know, if you turn around and say, any contact with the head whatsoever in the sport is a red card. It's a different game, I think. Um, it's a fairly dynamic environment, particularly, like, let's take the case when you get five metres from the line and a lad is literally half a metre off the ground. What can you do there? You know, there's going to be guys getting banged to the head in that regard. You know, it, there, there's so many different situations that are pretty fluid um, and a lot of moving factors, a lot of kind of factors that can change the outcome in, a, in half a second and which which looks like oh he should have done this and that in hindsight in slow motion but in real time it's really different and um, there is an, always going to be an element of risk in this game um, and you have to do your best to mitigate the most that you can but there's it's a contact sport there is always going to be um, contentious issues and there's always going to be accidents that is uh, Jamie Heslop and before him Jerry Flannery, two former Irish internationals on the issues around this head contact and there's going to be at some point in this tournament, uh, there's going to be a game won or lost on a decision from the bunker, from the TMO, whatever they call themselves these days in rugby uh, regarding a head on head contact. It's just going to happen. We've seen it. Ethan DeGroote, of course, two game suspension. He'll be back in time for the quarterfinal. It is 18 minutes away from seven. You are on Rugby World Cup today, thanks to Kubota. Short break when we come back. Are the Paddies ready for the Springboks? We'll hear from uh, two, another two former Irish internationals very, very shortly here on Rugby World Cup today. Five minutes away from seven, Rugby World Cup today with Brad Lewis uh, with you. Daniel McCarty back on board on this show on Thursday from uh, six to seven after the run home. I uh, just got back into the country today, Daniel and young Logan. Um, so DMAC will be back on board uh, in a couple of days' time. All right, the big game this weekend, or of course the show, Rugby World Cup today brought to you by Kubota Shaping and Building Australia and New Zealand. The big game this weekend sees Ireland take on South Africa on Sunday morning. Live coverage here on SENZ from 6.30. So how confident are the Paddies? Here's former, former Irish internationals Rob Carney and Andrew Trimble alongside former Scotland coach Matt Williams on this huge, huge game. I'm, I'm borderline positive. Okay. Which for you is, you know, super positive. Yeah, you're trying to create this caricature here. No, no. And I'm kind of reluctant, but I, there is, there is, um, I have been concerned. I think after the small game, I was concerned. And against Romania, you can't fix all those problems. Mm. Um, last night, there was enough to show that they, and we'll go through it in, yeah. in a bit, but there's enough to show that they've still got a few tricks up their sleeve. Um, I would just be slightly happier 
if those those passes were just sticking a little bit more. Yeah. Because I think this South African defense is going to be like anything, uh, like something they haven't experienced before, and they have to be so crisp and sharp. They have to outsmart this South African defense. Yeah. You can't go toe to toe. I think any other team that Ireland have played over the last um, any of the warm ups or through to the uh, the World Cup so far. Plan B can always be go toe-to-toe and beat them up and then get your momentum back. You can't do that against South Africa. You always have to outsmart them. Yeah. And if, you're, if, if your passing isn't crisp enough, then that, that becomes a want in your game. I think that's part of the problem with the games that we've played over the last three, four months. If, if we've been very honest about it, we haven't played against a very good team yet. Mm. Um, and that's why it's, it's hard for us to, to sit here and give a really pinpoint accurate assessment of exactly where this team are at mm. because if we've been honest I don't think we really know because we, we haven't got the the standard of opposition yet that game last night was definitely another step in the right direction I think it was brilliant to have a period of time in that game where we had to defend a lot mm. because we didn't have to defend against Romania and you always want to get tests of that because there's going to be a huge amount of tests uh, next week but my only concern would be is South Africa going to really come out of the blocks and shock Ireland a little bit because yeah. they haven't faced anything like that in a while. Which is not their fault. Nothing they can do about it. Just a reality of the calendar. So Rob, even just chatting to you briefly before coming in air, it's worth stating, you really were disappointed in Tonga. That, that is the context for this win. You can't fold 59 points on the board, but you did not think Tonga were good. No, I, I didn't. And, and like you say, you can't fault Ireland at all for that. And I think a little bit of the narrative before the game, after the team selection was, we're very much respecting the opposition. Mm. And Andy Farrell was right to pick this mm. team because Tonga are going to be that good. They've got some All Blacks coming back. Um, but I didn't think they were good at all, particularly their front five. I thought they were... Uh, they were lazy, they were unfit, they were good at set-piece, but in general play, um, I thought they were very, very poor. Okay. And, and, and that's why Ireland scored some of the tries they did around the ruck, which were brilliantly thought out, really well done, but Tonga was a huge disappointment. Mm. Especially when we've seen what Fiji have done. Yeah. Because everybody was excited about Samoa, Fiji, Tonga, but people were probably most excited about Tonga and yeah. what they can bring yeah. to the World Cup, and Fiji have been incredible. Mm. Yeah. So that's probably what we should expect from, from these teams now. Matt, where are you then on Ireland as we've counted down to this game for so long? Uh, look, what the boys have said is really accurate. Um, I think they're on track. But this this pool they're in and their path to a semi-final via their quarter-final, th this is going to be cigarette paper stuff. You know, mm. this is millimetres, this is the day, how they turn out. Um, I, I know they've got a structure, which we'll show later on, that can get around the South African defence if they do exactly what Trimby just said, which is great passing. And it's also exactly what Robbie said. If you look at South Africa, the three big losses they've had over the last few years to Australia and Adelaide, to um, Ireland at the Aviva and to New Zealand in Christchurch last year, mm. teams scored early and put scoreboard pressure on them. Yes. And they don't like that. They don't like chasing a game. They like to strangle a game with their forwards. And if, if Ireland can start fast, which they, they have done under Andy Farrell, to be fair, for the last couple of years, they've started fast. If they get a, a, a scores in front, that will put pressure on them. Mm. But if they let South Africa come out, like Robbie said, they come out really steaming and South Africa get their points up, that's when South Africa just, just yeah. absolutely strangle the game. But Ireland have the structure and framework and personnel 
to get around that. So, so I think they're really they're right in the Good hunt. Shape. Yeah, they're good. right in the hunt. Other countries having the same debates that we are, folks. Are we or are we not good enough? Uh, that is from uh, Rob Carney uh, and his boys on his podcast, along with Matt Williams and Andrew Trimble. It is almost uh, go home time here on Rugby World Cup today. Just quickly looking at our Rugby World Cup schedule. Thanks to Kubota. Uh, together, we are shaping and building Australia and New Zealand. Six thirty a.m. on Sunday, South Africa versus Ireland. Daniel McCarty and Christian Cullen with the call of that one. Uh, 7 a.m. Monday, uh, September 25, Wales versus the Wallabies. Scotty Stevenson uh, and Steve Devine have your call for that one. That is uh, 7 a.m. Monday. Kick- uh, coverage starts. The game kicks off at 8 a.m. So uh, Scotty Stevenson and Sumo are coming in after the, the breakfast. The boys, that is us done and dusted for another day on a Rugby World Cup today. I'll be back tomorrow. Uh, there are a few press conferences happening uh, in France this afternoon. I think Tonga is up. Uh, the South Africans will announce their team uh, for the game against Ireland we'll look into that as well and I believe the Wallabies are up tomorrow as well so we should hear from a couple of teams go inside some camps uh, tomorrow around Rugby World Cup but until then have a good night thank you very much to my producer Jacob and thank you guys for listening back on board tomorrow at 6pm